Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Uh, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Leave a review on Podchaser, iTunes, somewhere. Just leave a review. I deserve them. Um, last time we had a 45-minute episode or a 45-minute chapter, it was about a officer that I really hated and a book that I really couldn't stand. And so since this book is so early into it, I don't think this is going to be that same thing. But I'm already cross-eyed at Polo, already in sick of calling Carter, Young Carter. It sounds like a rapper's name. I feel like taking the O out of it and just making it Young Carter. Also, now that I say Young Carter, I close my eyes and picture him looking like Little Wayne. Yeah, it's a thing. Leave reviews. Let your friends know about the show. I deserve it. I'm really good at this. Chapter 4. We don't know who this quote is from because honestly... They were willing to murk women, children, husbands, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It didn't matter. Anybody could get it if the price was right. Unknown. See, told you. We don't, they're not even trying anymore. They're just like, we don't want to mess up like we did in the last chapter where we attributed something to Polo that Taryn said. Carter flipped through the different denominations of bills as he diligently counted the cash that he had just acquired from his flip. After the drama he had experienced during his father's funeral... The business he handled in Atlanta made the trip better for him. He would now leave the Dirty South $180,000 richer. This was definitely worth the trip, he thought to himself as he admired the hood riches that lay scattered across the hotel bed. He put the bills in $10,000 stacks and wrapped rubber bands around each one to keep the money organized. He counted the cash a second time to verify that his money was on point. He was thorough when it came to his paper. It was the one thing he knew he could depend on. Money was his first and only love. Getting money came first in any situation, and he was determined to keep his pockets fed. Oh yeah, now we're starting to step into the urban shit. Okay, cool. I mean, in the writing style. The book's been urban, but now we're starting to get to where I want it. This is my soup. A knock at the door interrupted his thought process, and out of habit, he grabbed his pistol from the nightstand and approached the door. He had been a bit paranoid from the events that had taken place the day before at the funeral, so he wanted to be as cautious as possible while he was in Miami. A nigga would never catch him slipping. 
He looked through the peephole and eased up when he noticed the distorted image of his father's right-hand man. Sliding the chain from the hotel door, he unlocked it and allowed Polo to enter the room. Here we go again. Polo shook his head as he looked at young Carter. It was still hard for him to get over the resemblance. Young Carter looked so much like his father, it was uncanny. It was a shame that the two men never got a chance to know each other. Can we talk? Polo asked, both hands tucked inside of his pants pockets. Yeah, come on in. Carter sat his pistol down. You want a drink? Polo stepped inside. Nah, I'm good. He noticed how on point Carter was and thought to himself, like father, like son. Carter walked over to his bed and pulled the bedspread over the stacks of money to conceal his business. He then sat down and motioned for Polo to take a seat in the chair across from him. Wait, so... He put the blanket over the money so folks can't see like this mountain of money... Are these stacks, like, you can't just say you've been sleeping on a hard-ass mattress, homie. Folks are going to notice, like, lines of stacks of money bands, right? I don't know. Maybe he's in a, a, a penthouse and, and you know, Polo was at the door and he was able to run back and cover up the money and nobody's going to ask. And he's... Polo's with the fucking cartel. I think he's seen 150000 before. Was it 150000 180,000. I think he's seen 180,000 before. I don't think this is his first time at the rodeo, young Carter. I'm going to stop saying it like that too, but I, I won't. He then sat down and motioned for Polo to take a seat in the chair across from him. I just came to see how long you were in town for. Polo knew that the Diamond family needed young Carter now more than ever. I'm ghost tomorrow. Ain't nothing here for me. Polo predicted this reaction from young Carter. My eyes squint up when I say young Carter. I can't help it. He didn't expect him to feel any sense of responsibility to his family. At first, it's not his fucking family. But he knew that if he could convince Carter to stay around long enough, the attachment would eventually grow. I know this is a lot to put on your heart right now, but your family needs you. Carter was quick in his response. They don't even know me, he stated with disdain. That's not my fam. I've only known one woman my whole life, and she the only family I need. Nah, I mean? Nah, I don't know what you mean, young Carter. I saw the look in your eyes today when that Haitian motherfucker had your baby sister at gunpoint. Only a man who had love in his heart would get at them niggas the way you did. It was instinct for you to protect her. Whether you want to admit it or not, that's your family, and they need you, especially Breeze. Ain't nobody tried to protect me my entire life. I've been out for self from the time I was old enough to understand the rules of the game. I don't have time to babysit. That's not my responsibility. Carter wanted to make it clear that he wasn't trying to get to know the Diamond family and didn't want to be around him. Nigga sound like, all oh, my life I had to fight. I don't even, I've never seen the color purple. I just know that line. So don't ask me for the next part, white people. You're going to study on your own. Google that shit. I won't. I'm too busy. Seeing their expensive house and luxury vehicles just made him resent his father even more. While he grew up in Flint, Michigan, a city that was known as the murder capital, the man that made him was taking care of the family that he had abandoned his firstborn for. The pain of growing up without a father left a bad taste in his mouth. Polo stood and shook his head from side to side. Everything isn't always as it seems, young Carter. Your father had his reasons for leaving you and your mother. 
and it wasn't because he didn't love you. It doesn't really matter now. That man's in the ground, and it doesn't affect me. I just came to pay my respects. I didn't come here for nothing more or nothing less. That man's never done a damn thing for me, so I'm not even going to hold you up and say I feel obligated to step up and take care of his family. A better man might be able to, but that's not me. I understand you're frustrated, young Carter. When is this nigga going to say stop calling me young? My name is Carter. Stop calling me young Carter. I understand you're frustrated, young Carter. You come here and see how happy your siblings are, and you feel cheated. I know you're asking yourself why you didn't have the same upbringing, but believe me, your father did the best he could under the circumstances, Polo stated, defending his best friend. When Carter didn't reply, he continued, Your father, I don't have a father. The nigga got my mother pregnant and then left us for dead to come play house with another bitch. Look, you need to watch your mouth. Polo, enraged by young Carter's blasphemous statements, had to set the record straight. I can't just sit here and allow you to disrespect my man like that. You don't know shit about nothing. If it wasn't for your father, you and your mother would have been dead a long time ago. He had to leave you in order to protect you. Fuck is you talking about, Carter asked, hostility and anger in his tone. Polo could see that the young man's temper was beginning to flare up, and then remembered that young Carter had a valid reason to be upset. He took a deep breath and calmed himself down to de-escalate the situation. Look, young Carter, I'm not here to bump heads with you. As your father's best friend, I have nothing but respect for you. You have a misconception about the man that your pops was. I'm not saying that every decision he made regarding you and your mother was right, but he did the best that he could. Think about it, youngin. Your mother worked as a CNA since you were young. She's bringing home 30 stacks a year at the most, but you grew up in a $200,000 house in the suburbs of Flint. Who do you think purchased that house? Who paid those bills? Use your head, young fella. How many 14-year-old boys you know kept $1,000 a week in his pocket? When you graduated, you were pushing a limited edition Mercedes. Who do you think copped that car for you? Let me tell you, it wasn't mommy. God damn. Carter got all this shit and didn't notice nothing. Like, how stupid, how selfish, how, what? Nigga, you're getting $1,000 a week, your mom's a CNA, and you ain't asking no questions? I mean, I understand CNAs get paid sometimes, I think. But, nigga, wait, what? Google. The average salary for a CNA in Michigan right now was $32,860. And, nigga, you pushing a Mercedes that cost one hundred. dollars 56000 I don't even know how much Mercedes costs because I'm scared to look. You got 1000 in your pocket every week. Your family lives in a, you and your mama live in a $250,000 home in Michigan, homie, in Flint, Michigan. This ain't California. This ain't major leagues. This is Flint, Michigan. And I'm not trying to say that to diss Flint, Michigan. I'm just saying you, you, you shouldn't have to pay that much for a house unless you live in Ballin. And you never questioned it? I'm just saying, you never ask your mom, yo, why am I getting a thousand a week? Is this nigga kicking down child support and how am I getting this bins and how are we paying for this house and how are we paying the bills? Polo's words were enough to silence Carter and make him think. His mother never told him about his father. She had never even talked about him and would explain their living situation by saying that she worked overtime, sometimes double time, to allow them to live the way they did. 
She often claimed to hit big at the casino or have the winning lotto number. She had given her son every excuse in the book to explain the extra income. All this time, my father was sending money back home to take care of me. Carter tried to wrap his mind around the fact that his father had never forgotten him. So, we doing this now? This this what we doing? Like, yeah, she... Single moms have the choice to never mention a father, yes. But the way that they're writing her right now makes her seem like, you know, she's getting all this and yet she doesn't want to acknowledge him. Like, they're writing it like she's a bad person for doing it. When at the same time, daddy's a drug dealer. So maybe she just didn't want to bring him up because he's slanging. Also, this is the same fucking thing that happened in Shaft just going to point that out real quick the new shaft the one with well not new but but the one that came out in 2019 where shaft had to leave his kid behind because gang members were literally trying to kill him every fucking day and so shaft's baby mama didn't tell his kid about it's a really misogynistic movie i don't want to go into it your father never missed a beat in your life son you may not have gotten the chance to meet him but he knew everything about you it was nothing for him to fly in and out of Flint on the same day just so he could be at your Friday night football games. Remember that game you ran 300 yards against Southwestern? Carter nodded his head as he placed it in his hands. Yeah, I remember. Your father was there. I know he was there because he dragged my black ass with him every week. Every touchdown, every award assembly, your graduation, he was there for all of that. When you got into that trouble with the laws of juvenile, he made sure that case was thrown out. Fifty grand made that little mishap disappear from your record. Your father loved you very much, but he was a hustler too. He met your mother when she was 15 and he was 17. They dated throughout his senior year in high school, and when it was time for him to go to college, he regretfully left her to better himself. Your mother was so upset with him that when he moved down here, she stopped contacting him. He tried to call her but she would never return his calls. A couple years later, he met Taryn. She was beautiful, unlike any woman he had ever met, and they fell in love quickly. She's a full-blooded Dominican, though, and they don't play that interracial dating shit. He had to prove himself time and time again just to be with her. If it weren't for his persistence and her refusal to leave him alone, they never would have been allowed to stay together. He knew that she was the daughter of Emilio Estes. Carter raised his head in surprise at the notorious drug lord's name. His eyebrows rose in speculation as he thought, I know this nigga ain't talking about. Before Carter could finish his thought, Polo said, Yeah, I'm talking about the Emilio Estes. Damn. Wait, before I go on, no, I'm going to keep going. Emilio took Carter under his wing. His co-connect allowed Carter to establish a cartel as the most notorious and prosperous illegal enterprise Miami has ever seen. Emilio was clear in his concerns, though. He told Carter that if he wanted to be with his daughter, then he would have to keep up the lifestyle she was accustomed to. Emilio told him that his family had to come first, and that if he ever disgraced his daughter in any way, it would be the death of him. So he deserted me and my moms. He chose his family in Miami over me. Your father didn't even know about you until you were a young child. Your mother didn't even tell him that she was pregnant. When he found out, Taryn was pregnant with the twins. And if Emilio ever found out, you and your mother would have been put in direct danger. Here we go. Knowing that he could trust his wife, 
He told her about you and your mother. Although she was upset at first, he explained that he had never cheated on her. She agreed to never tell her father, and they sent your mother money to support you from that day forth. It pained him that he couldn't get to know you. He wanted to be a part of your life, but his connection with the Dominican Mafia prevented that from happening. You were his firstborn. You looked just like him. He loved you wholeheartedly. Yep, there it is. When you when he left for college, your mom was so mad that he left her behind that she didn't answer his calls no more. And she was pregnant. And she didn't tell him. She didn't tell him nothing. Meanwhile, we're flying in every single week to see you. And at no fucking moment did Carter walk up to you and say, Hey, son, let me explain to you what's going on. Let me break it down to you real quick. Here's the whole thing. If he's jet-setting and able to flip around the world and all that in a millisecond, if he's able to fly there with nothing, for nothing, if he's able to break 50000 to get you out of jail and all this kind of stuff, he can't just pull you to the side for a second and be like, yo, I'm your pops. Here's what's happening. I understand that you're upset. I'm sorry. Confusion and anger took over Carter's body. Also, that whole shit kind of read for a second like uh, the Trapped in the Closet series, and I didn't like that at all because fuck R. Kelly. Confusion and anger took over Carter's body. He didn't know if he should be relieved or enraged. It still doesn't make up for the years I spent never knowing him. I don't give a fuck what I'm facing. When I have a shorty, my seed gonna know who I am. I'm gonna be a man and take care of my family, no matter what the circumstances are. Money can't make up for the times he wasn't there. My mother couldn't teach me how to be a man. I turned to the streets for guidance. My father came to my games, but he wasn't the one who showed me how to throw the football. He never showed me how to grip a pistol. He ain't showed me shit. I had to learn all that shit off humbug on my own. Damn, these are all such cliches. Sending you money and supporting you from afar was the only thing he could do. That cash kept you fed and the roof over your head. Your mother didn't have to worry about shit. She chose to never spend the money on herself. She never had to work another day of her life if she didn't want to. He made sure of that. Polo looked in young Carter's eyes trying to read him. The more I read Polo, the more I feel like I should be reading him like Weebay from The Wire and shit. <sighs> it's weird. Carter stood up to signal that he was done with the conversation. It still don't matter. This ain't my home. And first thing tomorrow, I'm out. Polo stood as well. He shook his head in contempt. I, I hear you, but now you hear me. There's a war going on. Your little brothers and your baby sister need you right now. They weren't raised the way you were. They're spoiled, and they underestimate the seriousness of what's going on. This family needs your leadership, your protection. There's a lot of unfinished business that needs to be handled. Your father's seat at the cartel is waiting to be filled. Carter's silence was enough to let Polo know that he was considering his options. He headed for the door. Before he left the room, he said, There's a meeting tomorrow night at the Diamond House. Your presence should be felt. If you're still in town, you should drop in. I'll be in touch. As the door closed behind him, Carter thought of all the times he had wondered about his father. He was going crazy as he tried to recount the endless gifts his mother had given when he was growing up. He remembered growing up in the inner city until the age of 10. At that time, his mother mysteriously packed up all their belongings and moved them to the suburbs of Grand Blanc. 
That must be around the time the Carter found out about me, he thought to himself. A part of him wanted to leave town and never look back. But another part of him wanted to stay. That part had seen the beautiful face of his baby sister. The part that had witnessed the arrogant swagger of his brother Mecca. And the calculating discreetness of his brother Monroe. His emotions were at an all-time high. And for the first time in his life, he was indecisive. Unable to stay cooped up in the hotel suite, he grabbed two stacks of money and headed to the door. He needed to clear his head. He figured that the best way to do that was to visit the floating casino that sat at the end of the pier on South Beach. He didn't know the gambling ran through his veins like blood. It was a habit his father also had. What he did know was that it relaxed him, which is just what he needed at the moment. Carter stood at a lively crap table with nothing but $100 chips in his rack. The casino was unusually packed for a Sunday night, and every table was crowded with eager participants just waiting to be taken by the house. Carter was lax from the top shelf Remy he was sipping on. The liquor and the intense thrill of the game had calmed him down since his earlier encounter with Polo. All bets set! The dice handler yelled before maneuvering the ivory across the table and placing him in front of young Carter. Why do we keep skipping back to this? Dice out. With his drink still in one hand, Carter picked up the dice with the other and tossed them towards the other end of the table with a nonchalant swagger. The dice tickled the fabric as they danced before finally landing. Yo, 11, yo, the dealer shouted, indicating that 11 had landed on the face of the dice. Uproarious celebration erupted around the table as everyone collected their wins and anxiously awaited Carter's next roll. He had been on a hot streak all night, hitting point after point. His luck was unbelievable. He had held the dice for 45 minutes, which was almost impossible to do in the game of craps. He schooled the dice against the table with his head down as he watched his hands work their magic. He concentrated heavily on his technique. Every hustler had his own rhythm with the dice, and Carter was no exception. Excuse me, can I get in here? Hearing the feminine voice amongst a crowd of boisterous men caused Carter to look up. A brown-skinned girl with shoulder-length, almond-colored layers and hazel eyes squeezed into the empty rack next to him. He was so close to her that her sweet perfume played games with his senses, and he felt his manhood acknowledge her presence. He put the dice down as he watched her reach into her skin-tight seven jeans to pull out a small wad of money. He waited for her to throw her cash on the table before he continued his roll. The dealer handed her a hundred dollars worth of chips, and she put them in her rack, arranging them by denomination. He smirked at her as she made a pattern with the different colored chips. It was rare that he saw a woman at the crab tables, and the one beside him had his full attention. The men around the table grew impatient summoning clearing their throats a signal to Carter that he should pick up the dice. The young woman squirmed beside Carter, trying to find her place between the big men surrounding her. My fault, baby, Carter stated. Here, let's do it like this. He turned sideways and allowed her to ease in comfortably at the table, giving her more room to play. It's all right. You good? She responded with a New York accent that immediately told him that she wasn't from Miami. She looked up at him and smiled as he stared down onto her five-foot-five frame. Captivated by her presence, he made mental notes as he admired her wide hips, thin waist, and perfectly manicured fingers and toes. His intense focus caused her to blush. She lay her chips on the table. Can I get a $72 six? 
Carter noticed a small tattoo on the backside of her wrist that read Murder Mama. That immediately piqued his interest. She then pointed to the dice, reminding Carter that it was his role. Carter tossed the dice at the end of the table. Here go your six, ma. Hard six, the dealer yelled. The girl jumped up and down and squealed with joy as if she had just won a million dollars, and Carter couldn't help but chuckle at her enthusiasm. The man next to her was so in awe of the woman, he dropped her a $25 chip and winked at her, saying, Lady Luck. The man was so busy taking a peek at Mia Moore's ass that he didn't notice her lift three of his $500 chips out of his rack. Mia Moore bent over and pretended to fix the strap on her stiletto, giving the man a nice view of her assets. She did all this in less than 10 seconds. While everyone was busy collecting their money from the dealers, Mia Moore used the distraction to her advantage. When she stood, she gave the old man a half-smile that seemed to light up the room. Carter shook his head with a smirk on his face as he watched the young woman's game. What's so funny? She asked with laughter in her voice as she looked up at him. One hand plastered to her hip, the other reached onto the table to collect her cash. Nothing, ma. I'm just happy you won. Carter licked his full lips. Okay, she stated playfully as she discreetly scanned his body. What? Okay, as she discreetly scanning his body from head to toe. Okay, she stated playfully as she discreetly scanning his body from head to toe. Dang it. Now. Okay, she stated playfully as she discreetly scanned his body from head to toe. I see you clowning me, but you need to be minding your own business to hit that six again. I still got money on the table. Everybody ain't balling like you. I see you betting with your purple chips, she said, referring to his full rack of big bills. I got you, he said as he prepared for his next roll. What you drinking on, ma? Hypnotic and goose, she replied. The two of them stayed at the craps table all night. They joked and laughed, flirting openly with each other. Young Carter enjoyed her company and appreciated her presence because she took his mind off his deceased father. He noticed the size of her pockets as she tried to keep up with his bets and it calculated that she had lost at least two grand trying to hang in the game. As the crowd began to disperse, they eventually were the only two left at the table. Drunk and feeling good, they made dumb bets, Carter not caring how much he spent, but the young lady watching every dollar that the dealers trapped up. Seven out, the dealer called. The enthusiasm had left his voice, and it was apparent that everyone at the table was exhausted. Looks like your luck's ran out. The girl leaned against the table. She faced him, her head cocked to the side, her eyes low and sexy from the effects of the liquor. I guess so, he replied as he stepped to her, closing the space between them. You alright? You look a little tipsy. The girl smiled seductively and answered, Just a little bit, but I'm good. I ain't come here alone. My girls are around here somewhere. This was fun. Thanks for the drinks. Our drinks were free in a casino. Is that just in Vegas? Me and my brother used to go to Vegas and, and we just sit. Literally, we just sit at a slot machine until the, the waiters came by and then we acted like we were putting money into it. So then they give us a free shot of tequila. And then we go to the next casino and that's how we got lit. They don't give you free drinks everywhere? As she began to walk away, Carter gently grabbed her forearm. Hey, hold up, he stated softly. He reached into his Prada pockets and pulled out a wad of money. 
he pulled off twenty hundred dollar bills and opened the girl's hand to put him inside. What are you doing? Her eyes opened wide in surprise. I can't take this. Whenever he, I feel like I should say this with a deeper voice, so y'all gonna have to give me a moment. <clears throat> Whenever you're in my presence, everything's on me. That should make up for what you lost, even though it wasn't yours to begin with. He rubbed her hand before letting it go. Alright, I see you, she replied with a laugh. She threw the money onto the dice table. What you doing, ma? She put her hands to her lips as if to shush him, and then told the dealer to put it all in the field. She picked up the dice, tossed him down the table. Two field bet two, the dealer yelled in excitement, amazed at the young woman's luck. Double the payout. Carter shook his head in disbelief. He couldn't believe that the girl had just put two stacks on such a dumb bet. The payout was lovely. She picked up $6,000 from the table and handed him back 3000 I make my own ends, but it's nice to know that there's still gentlemen out there. Before she could walk away, Carter said to her, I ain't get your name, Shorty. I get to use a deep voice now because I gave you money. I didn't get your name, Shorty. She brought her lips close to his ear. That's because I didn't give it to you. If you're worth getting to know me, I'll see you again. She replied with a smile as she walked away from him. Me and more? Who the fuck is that fine-ass nigga you were kicking game to? Aries asked as she sat in the backseat of the Honda Civic. Aries, shut up. Wasn't nobody kicking game to nobody. I wasn't worried about that nigga. Y'all bitches just don't know how to tell a motherfucker without being all obvious. Our Mark was at the crap table in the upstairs VIP. I just chose the table to get me a nice view to the stairway so I'd know who was coming and going. Dude was just a prop to make it realistic. My eyes never left the prize, Mia Moore replied, making sure that she kept her eye on the all-black Lamborghini that was three car lengths in front of her. Oh no, Mia. It seemed to me like you were checking for him, Robin teased. Mia Moore smacked her lips, and a guilty smile spread across her face. Bitch, me knew it, Ari shouted excitedly in her Barbadian accent. Aight, aight, I'll admit it. The nigga was a little fly. He had an A-game on him, but why the fuck is we discussing the nigga? This ain't playtime. Let's get focused on this business, Mia Moore stated, trying to get back to the task at hand. Now the bitch want to be focused, Ari stated smartly. I know, right? Robin burst into laughter. To the average person, the three girls were rare beauties out for a night on the town. One would have never guessed that these contract killers... They called themselves the Murder Mamas, were responsible for 60% of the drug-related murders in the Dade County area. If the paper was right, they were down for the job. Nobody was an exception. They were willing to murk women, children, hustlers, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It didn't matter. Anybody could get it if the price was right. Come on, Mia. Keep up with this fucking car, Anissa thought frantically as she watched her sister's car disappear in the side mirror. Her heart began to beat rapidly as she began to think of a way to buy her friend's time to catch up. Mecca, can we stop at this gas station up here? She said in her sweetest tone. All those Long Islands are making me want to pee. She rubbed her left hand on his crotch. 
Mecca's dick immediately responded to her touch and began to stiffen as he looked at her fat ass, which was melting into his leather seats. Nah, we almost there. Just hold that shit. Come put those pretty lips to work, he said with a tone of authority that didn't leave her room to object. Anita looked in her mirror once again. Fuck, Mia, where are you? She unbuckled her seatbelt and leaned into Mecca's lap. She unzipped his pants and pulled out his throbbing dick. She was immediately aroused by the sight of his long thickness, which was a shade darker than his light skin and was the prettiest thing she'd ever seen. Her mouth watered in anticipation. The fresh smell of Sean John Cologne greeted her nostrils and she licked her lips in delight. Anissa loved the big clean dick and figured since she was about to kill the nigga, she might as well give him the best head job of his life before sending him to meet his maker. She licked the head of his length and circled her tongue seductively around his hat, and his manhood jumped from excitement. Oh shit, he uttered as he kept one hand on the steering wheel and put the other on the back of her head. He entangled his fingers in her hair and gently pushed her down onto him. Anissa took all of him into her mouth, gagging a little from his size. Her mouth was wet and warm, and Mecca was in heaven as he glanced down at the beautiful woman. She slobbered on his dick as she deep-throated him. She knew she was nice with her tongue. Not even five minutes had passed, and she felt the swell of his rod as he neared ejaculation. He closed his eyes and almost forgot he was driving as she slid her mouth down one last time, tickling the vein underneath his shaft on her way up. It was a wrap as she sat up and watched Mecca come into an orgasm. Damn, baby, let's get you up to this room. A nigga needs some of that. Mecca slipped one of his fingers up her skirt pushing her thong to the side and massaged her swollen clit. <sighs> Anissa moaned as Mecca fingered her dripping pussy. He was working his fingers in and out of her like a dick, and she began to work her hips as she felt the pressure building between her legs. If this nigga can work his fingers like this, I know he can fuck good. I might have to fuck his sexy ass before I kill him. Anissa squirmed in her seat and continued to check her mirrors as she enjoyed the pleasure that Mecca was providing her. Mecca pulled into the parking lot of the Holiday Inn and hopped out of the car, leaving his car with the valet. He pulled out a hundred dollar bill and gave it to the valet. Take care of my car, he said. You fuck that up, I fuck you up. Understand? Yes, sir, the valet answered immediately. Mecca walked over to the passenger side and opened the door for Anissa. Thanks, she stated with a smile. She grabbed his hand and walked beside him. When they entered the hotel, Mecca checked into a regular room, using one of his many aliases. Butterflies circled in Anissa's stomach because she was sure that her girls had gotten lost in the sauce of Miami's nightlife traffic. It doesn't even matter, because once I slip this nigga this GHB pill... This motherfucker's gonna be offered to count anyway. It'll give me enough time to let them know where I'm at, she thought as she reluctantly followed Mecca up to the 10th Florida Hotel. Where in the hell did they go? Robin asked in a panicked tone. I don't see them. Can you see the car? Nah, but you need to chill out. Now's not the time to start tripping. We've done this shit a thousand times. Let's just stick to the plan. Anissa knows how to handle herself. We fucked up by losing her. But she'll contact us when she can, Mia Moore stated confidently. Me don't know, Mia Moore. This job's on a whole nother level. What if she needs us? Aries asked. 
Mia Moore could feel the fear creeping into her team's heart. She knew the fear could easily manipulate any situation, and she was fighting to keep control. Where are you, niece? Let me know something, she thought as she too began to worry. She didn't like the fact that she had lost their mark, but she knew Anissa would be able to handle herself until they could get there. I just need to use the restroom. I'll be right out, Anissa said as she entered the hotel room. She quickly disappeared behind the safety of the bathroom door and locked it behind her. She sat on the toilet, her heart beating a mile a minute and pulled out her two-way. She sent the text to her crew. I'm at the Holiday Inn on Biscayne Boulevard, room 1128. Then quickly put her phone in her purse and flushed the toilet for show. She washed her hands and walked out of the bathroom. As soon as she opened the door, Mecca was standing there looking her in the face. Oh, she exclaimed as she dropped her Chanel clutch purse onto the floor. Shit, she yelled out. The contents of her purse spilled out onto the floor, and she quickly squatted to retrieve the tiny packet of white powder before Mecca could see it. Why you so jumpy, Ma? Mecca asked, his stare penetrating her, his hand caressing the side of her face. Then he looked into the bathroom suspiciously. I need to get in there. He walked inside and closed the door behind him. Oh, okay. Anissa rushed over to the mini bar and set up two glasses. She used Grey Goose because she didn't want to use dark liquor, afraid that the residue from the drug might float to the top. She used her finger to mix the powder into the glass and then removed her silver Chanel dress. She stood in her black Victoria's Secret bra and thong and her four-inch Chanel stilettos. When Mecca walked out, he saw her standing with two drinks in her hand. He admired the curves of her body. Her wide hips, flat stomach, and apple-shaped bottom gave him an instant hard-on. He could only imagine the treasure she had between her thighs and couldn't wait to taste her. Here, baby, I'll fix us a drink. I want us to relax so we can enjoy the night. I'm not drinking tonight. Fuck you mean you're not drinking, nigga? You've been drinking all fucking night and now you want to change up? Mecca could see the distress on her face. Is that a problem? No, baby. I just want to make you feel good. How about we order some room service at the Holiday Inn? They have room service at the Holiday Inn? I'm not even, I didn't, I did not know that. I'm not joking. Have some drinks, and afterwards, I'll let you put your dick in something warm. She put the glass of Grey Goose in his hands and let the trail of kisses from his ear to his chest and continued to move south. She got to his pants and unbuckled his belt. Just as she was about to go to work, he grabbed her hair forcefully, almost tearing her from the root. You drink it. He stated in a menacing tone. The look in her eyes confirmed his suspicions. When she didn't respond, he continued. You got two choices. You can either drink it, or I'm going to blow a hole through your top. He removed his gold-dipped Beretta 950 Jetfire and aimed it at her head. Mecca, what the hell is your problem? Anissa stood to her feet. I just wanted to make you feel good. You pointing guns in my face and shit. We're supposed to be having a good time, she whined, trying to flip the situation in her favor. Say that shit. You think I didn't see the car that was following us, bitch? Drink up. If there's nothing going on, then you have nothing to worry about. 
Anissa realized her plan wasn't working. Where are you, Mia? She slowly reached for the drug drink. She knew if she drank the liquor, she'd be committing suicide. Mecca had peeped her shade, so she knew that she had to act fast. She grabbed the drink from his hands and tilted it towards her mouth. Mecca watched intently, but just as her lips touched the glass, she violently threw the liquor in his face and darted for the door. Bitch! He yelled as he cleared the wetness from his face and chased after her. She managed to open it slightly, but he was right on her ass and slammed his weight against her, causing the door to slam shut. Then he grabbed her neck and tossed her to the floor as if she were the size of a rag doll. Ugh! Bitch, you trying to poison me? You trying to set me up? Mecca aimed his gun at her head, and before she could deny his accusation, he silenced her with two to the dome. There that nigga go, Robin pointed to Mecca as he rushed out the parking lot. Mia peered into his car and immediately noticed that he wasn't alone. It was at that instant that she felt something was horribly wrong. Where's Nisa? she asked, her tires screeching as she pulled up swiftly to the valet curb. She hopped out the car and shouted to the valet, Leave my car running. I'll be right out. Robin and Aries were right behind her. They didn't wait for the elevator to make it down to the hotel lobby and darted straight for the staircase. Each girl was silent, all fearing the worst. When they finally made it to the 11th floor, Mia Moore took off for room 1128. They were all out of breath but kept running as if their lives depended on it. Mia noticed that the room door wasn't closed completely and pushed it open forcefully. Nisa? She called as she saw her sister lying in a small pool of blood. Tears immediately came to her eyes. Oh my god! Robin shouted when she saw her good friend's body on the floor. Aries was speechless as she watched Mia Moore kneel by her sister's side. No, Nisa, wake up, baby. Don't do this, Anissa. Get up! Mia shook her big sister's body as if she was only asleep. Come on, help me get her up, she yelled, looking back at Aries and Robin for help. Come on, she needs to get to a hospital. Help me, please, she cried, her voice sounding like that of a small child. We gotta get out of here, Robin whispered as she kneeled down beside Mia Moore. No, I can't leave her. Nisa, get up, come on. Mia, there's nothing we can do for her now. It's too late. She's gone, Robin said sadly. She's gone. Mia Moore nodded, her face round up in pain. I know, she whispered in between sobs. She leaned over her sister's dead body and whispered in her ear, I love you, niece, and I'm going to kill him. I promise. She kissed her sister's cheek and then exited the room. At first... Killing the Diamond family was something that she had been paid to do. Now it was personal, something that she had to do, and no matter how long it took her, she would have her revenge. Polo paid them. I know, I know, I'm saying that a lot, but Polo paid them to kill Mecca, so then it would be him and Money, and then he'd kill Money and take over the whole show with Young Carter. And also, why didn't Young Carter even notice his brother anywhere in the fucking casino? At all. Like his... Mecca... Well, yeah. Mecca's still playing with little money. Young Carter's playing with $180,000 worth of money. 
He took two stacks with him. And Rounders, they call that two stacks of high society. I love that movie. I'm going to do it soon on hindsight. Young Carter. Thank y'all so much for listening. Please leave a review on Podchaser or on um, Apple Pod on Apple Podcasts, uh, on Stitcher. Just let me know where you left it at. I deserve reviews. Also, uh, go to Patreon and uh, become a member. Patreon.com backslash single simulcast. Help me buy more books at buymeacoffee.com backslash sscast. Um, and you can leave an email at ratchetbookclub at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ratchetbookclub. Uh, the voicemail number is 916-633-1537. Thank y'all so much. I mean, y'all could really leave a voicemail. I mean, y'all ain't got to be scared. Y'all act like them telemarketers who are calling y'all nationwide aren't calling from nationwide. Y'all act like y'all don't call your folks. You got a, a person who lives right up the street from you who still got their same phone from when they lived in another state. And you call that person every single day and you don't worry about it at all. So you can call a 916 number. That's all I'm saying. Also, if you left a review for the show, you can also leave reviews for separate episodes. That's all I'm saying. You know, that's what's up. Thank you so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Uh, Y'all have a wonderful day. I'll holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?